0: You are listening to the Sun Grove podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, if you haven't noticed, our world continues to get more and more intense. It seems like every year, uh, regular TV allows more and more intense words uh, on regular TV. Have you noticed that? Like it used to be, that some of the words they say now on TV they weren't allowed. You know, they had to bleep them, or they weren't allowed to say those. You know, years ago, and just everything in our culture is escalating in intensity. Uh, You know, I think cursing, you know, swearing, I think it's kind of capped out. Because it used to be that you had certain levels of acceptable escalation. And then when you really, really, really wanted the, you know, to escalate things as high as they could go, there was one word that people would use that could do that. Now it's become as common as being an adjective for almost everything. And cursing is kind of, it's, you know, people are trying to make creative combinations of words to escalate cursing, because I think we've just kind of, we've taken it as far as it can go, and it's kind of just capped out. We just see intensity in every area of our lives. Marriage fights, instead of just periodic arguments, uh, escalate, and then they, you know, escalate, and then it just becomes a constant belittling of one another, back and forth, just a, a disrespecting of a husband, a, an unloving word toward a wife, and it just goes on and on, and on as if it's the common, normal language of life. People betray confidences that they promised that they would keep secret. But one opportunity, one moment, and they betray that covenant. And then in business, lying becomes, well, it's just business. It's just as normal as any other operating procedure. And in every area, we watch the way that our words are used, and our words have been escalating. But i got to tell you something about our words. The tongue is a tattletale, and it tells on your heart. The tongue's a tattletale, and it tells on your heart. Jesus said, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. He said it in Matthew 12, 34. In other words, Jesus is saying, whatever comes out of the mouth is just a reflection of what already exists in our heart. So the tongue is a tattletale, and it tells on your heart. The tongue is really simply our words are the revealer of what we think or we believe in our heart. Paul says this of people who don't know Jesus, who have not been saved, who have not experienced the life-transforming power of Jesus. Paul says this in Romans 3:13. He says, "Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and of bitterness." In other words, he's saying if you want to see who the unsaved person is, They are carried along by their flesh. They are carried along by their tongue. And the words that they use are just going to be, in many ways, compulsive. The words are just simply going to continue to reveal what exists in their heart has not yet been transformed by Jesus. You know, it's interesting that James, in chapter 3 of the book of James, if you want to open there, he begins to attack the tongue, And and you say, well, why would would he speak against the tongue when really the tongue is the tattletale that tells on the heart? The real issue is the heart, right? Well, in Hebrew literature, what would often happen is James is writing to fellow Jewish people. He's revealing things about the tongue that basically uh, would be understood by a Jewish person to reveal. Well, yeah, he's talking about the tongue, but it really reveals the heart. Much like in the Old Testament, God detests feet that rush into evil. Well, is it the feet that rush into evil? No, it's really the heart, right? The heart says, run towards evil. Look for opportunity and get there quickly. But in Hebrew literature, they would say, it's the, you know, God detests the feet. Does God really detest your feet? No, you might detest your feet, but God doesn't. What he's saying is the feet simply are showing us that the heart is rushing itself into evil. And so James talks about the tongue in the same way, that the tongue, our speech, will tell on our heart. Have you ever seen a compilation of news bloopers? You know what I'm talking about, right? The person's sitting down at the desk, and they're talking, and they say a wrong word, and typically it's a really bad word, so it makes the blooper real. Or they don't know it's a live shot, and they don't know the camera's on yet, and that they've gone live, and they're being all angry and mean and bitter, and all of a sudden they find out, uh, you're live right now, and it's like, the act happens, right? Right? Suddenly the good face is put on. But it's when the camera's on, but they think it's not, that the real heart is being revealed through what is being said. James identifies that living faith shows itself in the control of the tongue. That authentic, transforming faith controls us. It controls our tongue. It's going to change how we speak. Faith that does not transform how we speak is really no saving faith at all. Because what happens is we declare through our mouth truth of what we believe in our heart. It's so interesting that the scriptures say, Jesus, or Paul says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and if you proclaim with your mouth if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. What's the thing? You confess with your mouth. He doesn't say secretly believe like on the inside. Don't ever talk about it and you'll be saved. No, he's saying one of the declarations of the internal belief of your heart is that you are going to declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Why? Because a tongue is a tattletale and it tells on your heart. Now, I need your help here with this statement. Maybe you grew up, you know, in a house and your parents said this to you, but help me out with this. If you can't say anything nice, no, no, text it, text it. That's what our culture does now, right? Can't say anything nice. Well, you text it, it. You know, is it what happens? The texting reveals what's already in our heart, right? You think you're sending a very private text or a private medium between two you know, people and that nobody else will ever know, but, but you're, the truth is the tongue is a tattletale, but so are your thumbs. The thumbs are a tattletale, and they tell on your heart. Is it the tongue that needs to be removed? Is it the thumbs that need to be removed? No, it's a change in our heart. Open your Bibles, if you will, to James chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. James says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. This verse, most scholars believe, actually fits with the line of reasoning in chapter 2. If you remember last week, we looked at favoritism, and we looked at how when you and I play favoritism, we basically withhold favor from certain people who deserve it because we're created equal in God's eyes but we withhold favor or we show special favor to people because we're kind of kissing up to them. And what we do is we make a judgment and that judgments that we make on the inside that don't lead to mercy reveal that in our heart we've made an evil judgment. We've made a judgment to speak in certain ways, as this chapter will show. We've made a decision in certain ways that make people sit here or over there in different ways in James chapter 2. And so he's saying, listen, These judgments that happen, we make judgments, and our externals reveal what is going on in our heart. And he's saying, so that you who teach, that not a lot of you should teach, but you know that those who teach should be judged more strictly. Why? Because of what we say. And because of the fruit of the life, the person who teaches is like life in the fishbowl. He goes on, James says, and says this, we all stumble in many ways, Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And when we put the bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue, it's a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider... What a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. If you're taking notes today, you'll realize that James is telling us that words are followed by actions resulting in either life or death. Now, I grew up with brothers, and brothers fight sometimes. And when we were like, especially in my junior high years, I had a younger brother three years younger. I had an older brother two years older. And uh, fights in my house never started off like this. It wasn't like we were walking toward each other in the in the hallway of our house, and just walk my also, and just be like, bam, and just knock, you know, my brother down, and then be like, yeah, you know, or have him tap out. No, what happened was a little nitpicking at each other at breakfast, a little argument later in the day, then our words escalate, and then what follows? Yeah, World War Three of fights, and my mom, who weighs like a buck ten, is like trying to, you know, pry us apart and, you know, get us like separated because we are just we're ready to kill each other. That's how fights start. That words are followed by actions resulting in either life or death. And James now gives three illustrations that people can picture, people can understand. This small part, the tongue, if I were to ask you to hold your tongue today, like literally, that'd be gross, because you're going to shake hands with people later. But you'd realize just a little part of the body, I mean, you could, you could fit in your hand, right? You know, And it's just a small part of the body. But he gives these illustrations. The first one he uses is that of a horse. Now, I uh, worked at a dude ranch when I was in college. I was in Southern California. I left Southern California for the summer, went out to Colorado and worked at Lost Valley Ranch in Colorado. It's an awesome, like, four-and-a-half-star dude ranch, a great place. And uh, how many of you remember, like, the first time you sat on a horse? Maybe you were a kid and you sat on a horse, and, you know, maybe your parents. Yeah, obviously not everybody here has ridden a horse. But if you uh, can think back to riding a horse, you sit up on this animal, and maybe the handler is the wrangler. They're going to, like, cinch up. The saddle, once you're on it, because they want to make sure that the saddle's really tight so that as you ride along, you don't start turning sideways in the saddle as it, like the belt is slipping and you fall off. They want to, you know, you want to stay on top of the horse. But what the horse does is he doesn't like that. So the horse breathes in, and you're sitting on the horse, and you know the guy's starting to tighten it, and the horse realizes, oh, he's tightening that cinch. So the horse goes, and your legs kind of go like that. Because all of a sudden you realize this animal is huge. You're just inflating these lungs and it's just, you know, this massive animal. And the horse kind of holds it and then the wrangler, all you got to do is just wait. Can't hold his breath forever. And the horse like lets the air out and then he like it that last bit and then now you're good to go, right? So that's what it does. But I mean, you're sitting on this animal. When you're on a horse, you can feel its muscles twitch. You're like, what was that? Like, like this is a large animal. You can feel its muscles twitch. It's, it's a big old, you know, amazing, powerful animal. You're thinking, I get to ride this thing, you know, hold the reins. Well, when I worked at the dude ranch, I worked with a bunch of the teens who were there as well. And on Thursdays, we would do an all-day ride, and we would go out to this place like 11 miles away, and we would have lunch. And it's this beautiful area. It's like these huge carved granite slabs that go way down. And down about 50 feet is a river. And, and at the, you know, the base, the top of the river is maybe a foot and a half wide. But you know that river is really deep and still cutting. It's taken you know hundreds of years for this water to cut through the rock. And there's this large meadow. And at the end, that granite slope just goes over. And then you see the other granite slope on the other side. At the top, it's really wide. You couldn't jump it. You know, it's too wide to jump to get across. But you look down and it's like looking in a granite crevasse, and you think, uh, you know, I could die if I fell down in there. And you probably would. Well, we get out there with the, all these students, and, and that particular day I was on a horse named Mountain Dew. Okay, now I'd never ridden Mountain Dew before, but I was largely unimpressed because while we're on the main trail ride where my horse, you know, is just looking at the horse in front of it. You know, it's just, it's really boring. The horse like almost falling asleep. I'm like, come on, get up, let's get going. You know, kick it a little bit and it it goes. And uh, then we get to this large meadow at the end of this, you know, long ride and it is time to let the horses loose. And this, the way they worked at the dew ranch is you really do get to spread out and you do get to, you know, run your horses. And so, we did that. We spread out and we start, you know, racing, and you know, you get past the trot stage where you're like this, and then it goes into the lope. If you've never loped on a horse, it's athletic, it's really smooth, it is a beautiful thing. When that horse is at top speed, it is a very smooth ride for the rider. And so you are just like loping on this horse, it is running so fast. And my horse, we were near the back, my horse begins to pass other horses, and I'm like, yeah. Mountain Dew, you know, let's go. So my horse is like, you know, running really, really fast and it's going great. And all of a sudden I noticed like one of the reins is drooped down on the ground and it is, you know, it's really dangerous. Because what can happen is the horse could step on its own rein, pull its head down, and you would cartwheel. Okay, so you never want to let your reins drag. So I'm like, I pull the rein in, but I realize all of a sudden it's not attached to anything. Like the rein is snapped off. And so I kind of pull it up and I'm, I'm holding the rein and I look at the, the other rein where it's attached and of course the reins go down and attach to the sides you know, of the harness there uh, of the bridle. And what has happened is it is snapped off and come all unraveled on this side and the bit is outside the horse's mouth on this side. And as we're running, the bit is slapping him in the head and he's, he's thinking I'm beating him, you know, like faster, faster. And, and all of a sudden I realize I have no power. I have no power of this animal. I am going to die. Like, there's no brakes. There's no way to stop, right? Because when you pull that bit back, it's tender in the back of a horse's mouth and it says, ah, I don't like that. I stop. But now I have no control and it's running and I'm right up at, like, near the front. And I am, like, literally thinking, okay, I got to bail off. I got to jump off the horse. And I look behind me and I'm like, I'm going to die because if I jump off and make it, I'll get trampled by, like, 30 other horses coming up behind. And so I'm like, I just don't know what am I going to do? You know, I'm like, start praying, Lord. My time has not yet come, you know, I'm just praying. And we're going through all this, and then fortunately horses are social animals, and as the other horse next to me kind of started to slow down, Mountain Dew's like, oh, we're slowing down, all right, it's cool, you know, we're here for lunch. I get off that, I like hug the ground, I'm kissing it, you know, thank you God I didn't die. So we eat our lunch, and we try to repair it, you can't repair what's going on there, and uh, we realize it's busted. And I got to tell you something, there was no way I would ever get back on that horse to ride where we came from, because there was just no control. And horses, when they want to go home, they don't care who you are. They're like, I want to go home. You always are having to rein your horse, and when it's going home, because it's like, I'm tired of carrying you. I know where there's good food and water, and I want to get home. And so they're always like trying to, you know, get, and you have to rein them back in. Well, this horse would like be like, I'm going to dump the rider and just go home, is what he was thinking. So me and another guy whose horse got a stick through its leg, we walked our horses 11 miles back to the ranch. Why? Because if you don't have that tiny little bit that we put in the mouths of horses to restrain it, everything's out of control. It's dangerous. James says the tongue is that way because it's a tattletale and it tells in our heart. He also says it's like a ship, the rudder of a ship. Now, you know, you have these massive container cargo ships, amazing things, or maybe it's crab catching ships or whatever it is, but sometimes the rudder on a ship breaks, and when that happens, it might be able to turn one direction, but not both ways. Maybe it's jammed going left, but it can turn right. And so what happens for that ship is, it can go kinda straight, and then when it starts getting off course, it has to make a right turn and kinda backtrack and then angle a new direction, And kind of started to make, so you're always doing these little loops. And can you imagine trying to dock a massive vessel that has a stuck rudder? Some of you find that your words do that to you. You feel like I'm starting to make some progress, but now I'm off course. And and you keep having to loop back and try to get back to the direction you were going. That something's wrong in there. That maybe there's some beliefs in the heart that keep coming out of the mouth that make me loop back on my life. I just can't get progress. And James comes along to say your words are powerful and the messages we believe in our hearts are super powerful and they're gonna reveal themselves as they come out of our mouth. He says this, that it's like a fire. He says the tongue is like a fire. A little spark that blows out of some campfire light some other things on fire, and next thing we know, it's like gray smoke here in the valley all during the summer, right? A little spark can cause a great forest fire. We know that. We live with that on a yearly basis. We understand it. James 3 verse 6 says this, The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now here's this pattern that goes on and James is telling us there's a pattern here and I want you to catch it. The pattern is this. He, he says it's a, a fire, it's a world of evil among all the you know, parts of our body. But he says this, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole core of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. What is he saying? That when the tongue is used to destroy, it destroys the user as well. Here's how this works. You say something bad about somebody, they hear it, they don't like it, word gets to them, their friends get defensive around them and loyal to them, and so then they start to antagonize back at you. So now the words you started come back on you, and now you have fresh, you know, their their anger is at you, and then you start getting all upset, and your friends start to get all loyal about you, and then you start to go back at them, and pretty soon there is a firestorm of words going on from a very small spark but the picture is it destroys everybody. It destroys everything. The picture is like an arsonist. You know, the person who goes around intentionally setting fires in a forest or a building or somewhere else. Let me ask you, would your friends or your family describe your words or your tongue as an arsonist? Are you stirring it up all the time? Are you meddling all the time? Are you starting the fire all the time? Because there's no control on your tongue. Except the picture here that James is describing is the picture of an arsonist trapped in a burning building. Like, I set the building on fire, but I can't get out. And the thing that I started is going to do me in. There's a pattern that goes on in verse 6. James says, we should not be those kind of people. Verse 7 says this, all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. So is it hopeless? He says it's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's image or likeness, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. He gives us picture here that all these different types of animals, and even in James' day in the first century, had been captured, and they had been trained, and they could do different things, and they were somewhat tamed. But it's the picture of the difference between being tamed and being as tame enough to live with like the animal you have in your house, your dog, or your cat, cats can't really be tamed, but you know, I mean, whatever kind of animal you have, dog, you know, this, these animals you have in your house, you would, you would live with them, but those are not the same animals that you have when you go to the zoo. And when you go to the zoo and you go to the big cats section at the zoo, I, I love the big cat section. We used to take our boys when they were little to Denver Zoo because we lived in Denver when the boys were little. And, and I remember we'd go up to like the zoo you know, the big cats exhibit. And you go in there and they got these big old, you know, acrylic glass, you know, barriers. And, you know, so that you can see the animals, but they, you know, they can see you, but they can't get out and you feel really safe. And so we go in the big cat area and I love the Bengal tigers and they're just awesome. They're just huge, massive animals. When they stand up, they're like over 10 feet tall, which is so weird for us to think of scale because we just can't picture a cat that big. They're bigger than a lion, okay, they can reach up over 10 feet, they're just huge, and so we would go there, and I, my little kids would go, and they go right up to the glass, and I would just watch, you know, here's, here's what the tiger's doing, he's looking right at my little kids, if they move, he's thinking lunch, dinner, and breakfast, three boys, you know, he's just looking, he's just got them. you know, if they move, he's like, just looking at them. And I remember one time just you know, going up to the glass and that thing just stretched out on the glass and, and just you know, raised, and I was like looking up like, oh my gosh, if this four inches of glass weren't here, I, I would be dead, I would be eaten right now. All kinds of animals are tamed, he says, but no one can tame the tongue, why? Because even if you're a believer in Jesus, you and I still live in a body of flesh, Just like our body decays, so also we will experience the consequences of living renewed in the spirit, but in a body of flesh till the day we die. That's the struggle, the almost, but not yet. We are sanctified. We are saved, but we are not in the presence of Jesus yet. We still have this body. Paul says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Praise be to Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is the one who will rescue me. We're so glad for that. Why? Because we experience the consequence. But those who don't have Christ in them, they haven't even gotten to the first point of being tamed. He gives this picture here that, that it's a restless evil, it's full of deadly poison. It, it's that picture of a, a viper, a snake that's just ready, to held up, and it's just ready to strike out at you. Do you realize that most snake bites happen on adult males? between the ages of 18 and 24 on their upper body. Why? Because their cerebral cortex hasn't fully developed and they're reaching down to pick the thing up and it bites them. That's what most snake bites happen to, adult males between those ages and on the upper body or torso. Why? Because they're reaching down to bite. It's not a good idea, right? Don't meddle with something that's full of deadly poison. Don't do that. What happens, we've experienced it. I want you to think for a minute. What reckless words have been difficult for you to stop believing? What reckless words have been so hard for you to forget? What reckless words have been so hard for you to forgive? That statement he made 10 years ago still lingers with you. Those words she said all that time ago still are controlling you. It's full of deadly poison. It's evil, isn't it? It's brutal. Proverbs twelve eighteen says this, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You got to realize a sword was the ultimate weapon of warfare in that day when you got in close contact with other people when you had relationship with other people and for them it was in war the element you wanted with you was the sword because you could stick people in the right places so that they would bleed out very quickly and they would die that's the instrument you would want with you and here Solomon says the words of the reckless pierce like swords they kill but the tongue of the wise brings healing What do you picture when you picture reckless words? Words without thought, just being reckless, like a reckless driver. But in, in fact, it's our tongue. It's out of control. For some, it's gossip. For others, it's boasting, just always talking about themselves, what they have or what they do. Others, it's just cussing, and it's foul language. Others, it's just accusing everybody, blaming Others, it's damaging self talk. They're, they're committing bushido. They're taking the, the sword and they're using it on themselves. The reckless words all the time. Self hatred. Hating you. Reinforcing what you've believed in your hearts. Coming out your mouth and it's stabbing you again. Maybe it's lies. God's Holy Spirit may be revealing that you just, you just lie a little bit all the time. It may be spreading confidential material that you promised to keep confidential, but you just didn't control your tongue. Or for others, it's texting filth or hatred or envy or selfishness. See, the tongue is a tattletale and it tells on our heart, and so are the thumbs are tattletales and they tell on our heart. What reckless words have you said that you wish you could take back? You know, it came out of your mouth and you're like, you wish you know you could get it back it's like squeezing the toothpaste out of a toothpaste tube and once it's out you cannot get that stuff back in there I'm just telling you it's just a big sticky mess right we've all been there we get that well James says the tongue can't be tamed so is there no hope should we lose hope no there's good news See, because the very verse that says the word of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The very next verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 19 of Proverbs says, truthful lips last forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. If you're taking notes, you realize the tongue can bring healing and stability for the long run. Truthful lips will last forever. The words that are spoken with those truthful lips are lasting. They're ongoing. They're permanent. They can bring stability for the long run. And so we realize that the, the very same tongue that brought death is the same tongue that can now bring life because it has been sanctified. It's now trainable. This is the difference. See, can you tame your tongue? Will you never, you know, will you have it completely tamed or it never does not No. You're still gonna struggle with your flesh. But here's the beauty. For those who've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and have the life-transforming power of Christ in them, he begins to work on the heart. And as the heart transforms, so then the tongue has been sanctified. Sanctified means set apart to be holy. Before, it was just controlled and captivated by our flesh. But now that you know Jesus, your feet are sanctified not to rush into evil. Your heart is sanctified. Your tongue is sanctified. What does that mean for the sake of your tongue? It means it's trainable. It's trainable. God can rewrite old messages, old lies with truth. And guess what? Your tongue will tell it. As God begins to transform us and we begin to submit our will to him, he changes how we speak. Now, i got to be honest with you. I'm going to meddle with you a little bit here. Because some of you, you listen to like the music we sang this morning. And Sunday mornings are the only time you ever hear this music. And all the rest of the week, you are training your heart to believe the messages of the music you listen to. And your tongue will tell it. Because when you're in your car alone and you're doing a little sing-along, you are saying words and saying things and believing things that are working their way in your heart. What are you doing? You're training your tongue when you sing along to the music that you're listening to. Or the music your kids are listening to. And they memorize it like that, don't they? Music is powerful. Powerful. Why is it important for us to come together and and worship? Because we're declaring with our mouth who God is. It's so powerful. It's so important as Matt leads us. It is so important for us to engage with living God. It's so important for us not to stand with our hands in pockets and watching. We're not watching worship. We need to be those who declare, who speak it out. Why? Because we're training our tongue to give praise to God. Because by default, it's been trained to curse people who have been made in God's likeness. It's trainable. James asked a couple rhetorical questions, beginning with verse 11. Turn with me there. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree, can it bear olives? No. Or a grapevine bear figs? No. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water, who is wise in understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your where? Right, remember the tongues a tattletale and it tells on the heart? So if you harbor selfish ambition, bitter envy in your hearts, do not boast about it on the one hand or deny that deny the truth that exists. Such wisdom doesn't come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. What is he doing right there? He's saying, listen, remember chapter two, when we talked about making a judgment that doesn't lead to mercy? Well, your actions are betraying what exists in your heart. You find every evil practice in the church because of what's being believed in the heart. Not only that, but what we speak, how we excuse me, we speak, what we say, all indications of what's going on in the heart. And he's saying, listen, God has created a fresh spring in you. And we need not to have this duality. We need to begin to train our tongue. He says this, but wisdom, verse 17, that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit impartial and sincere it's straight up it's honest it's impartial it doesn't make judgments that lead to evil saying let's begin to believe and let's begin to live out wisdom that comes from heaven own that in our hearts why because its fruit will show itself through our words Verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Isn't that good news? So we realize this, I don't need to replace it. I need to train it. See, we don't cut our our tongue out. We, We don't get rid of it. I don't need to replace it. I need, in fact, to train it. It's the same instrument that has done great evil, can do great good. We need to learn to train it. I don't need to replace it. I need to train it. And I got to tell you something. You know, our world is dying for hope. Our world is dying and begging and saying, please, I don't expect you to be perfect. I just need you to invite me along as I begin to see God's transformation making your life whole and, and to see why would submitting to Jesus mean anything for me. I'm just looking, I'm waiting, I'm watching. And when when they begin to get invited along, as as you begin to say, maybe you said a word, and you're like, you know what, I'm really trying to work on that, I'm trying to change that. And they see it and they think, well, why would you change it? That's what everybody does. They begin to see the transformational power of Christ in you. When they begin to see you forgive statements that other people have made, and they're like, wow, I I, I don't even know if I could do that. But you've got something in you that you're choosing to forgive what has been said against you. You got offended, but you're not living offended. And there's a big difference because through forgiveness, you're learning freedom, and we'll talk about that next week. As you invite people along in your family that all the time you speak negatively about yourself. You basically are all the time doing that and as you begin to correct that with the truth and counter those lies of self-hatred with the truth of who Jesus Christ was, and you declare them out loud, little children begin to get more confident in life because they love their mommy. And they don't want her to speak bad about her. They love their dad and they don't always want their dad to shoot his own confidence. We begin to invite people along and say, as I am becoming made more and more whole through the kingdom of God at work in my life, as I participate with him, as he works within my will, as he rewrites these messages I have believed in my heart, the tongue is going to reveal that you are being transformed by Jesus Christ and a world that is desperate for hope, needs us to do that can you imagine increasing your spiritual intensity this year by simply choosing to speak words of truth out of your mouth and you believe that in your heart what if you spoke words that encourage other people that build up other people that heal other people that your word at the right moment was healing in somebody's life and it it lasts forever because that healing took place in their life The same tongue that has done great damage can do great good. Sun Grove Church, what if we increased our intensity? See, this is just a building, but we are the church. So what happens is we dismiss out of here and church goes viral. We go all over the place to our jobs and our homes and our workplaces. What if we at the church helped one another counter damaging self-talk, declaring out loud the truth of our identity in Christ when we hear one another talk disparaging about ourselves or someone else? What if we were to speak life into those desperate for hope? What if we were to speak love to the fatherless child, the abandoned spouse, the forgotten criminal, the homeless person, and the foster kid? These are our modern-day orphans and widows. And what if we begin to show true religion by loving them, speaking life to them, What about bringing those who are in grief into a place where they hear and experience authentic love that doesn't ask anything of them? And they realize that is so different and transformational from what I know in my world. What about forgiving those who have wounded you with their words? That's transformation working in the heart and coming out your mouth. And some of you today, as we've reflected back on some of those difficult and brutal statements that we have heard, Maybe today you're realizing, I have never chosen to cancel that debt and counter those words with truth. And maybe today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to do that. You've been carrying that weight with you. And it's time to let that lie, that description, that identity theft go. Because you have a new identity in Christ. And it's time to reinforce that one. The tongue is a tattletale, and it tells on the heart. It reveals where you and I need to participate with the kingdom of God's transformation work in our heart. And maybe some of you are here today, and you just realize, I don't have that. I've never said yes to Jesus. I've never invited him into my heart to transform my life. I don't have that power that you're speaking of. I don't have anything except my own motivation to try to improve myself and do better. And when my motivation breaks down, then I've got nothing. And maybe today is your day to say yes to Jesus. It's surrender, to surrender your life to him, to give your life to him. And he comes in and makes you a new creation. He sanctifies all of your body to be set apart, to do right, and to be holy because of his holiness, not because of your own achieved perfection. And so you're saying, Jesus, I'm saying yes to you. The only way to be saved is because you were holy and you were righteous and you paid for my debt on the cross. Then you rose from the dead in new life as God. And I can't save myself, but you can. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes just right where you're seated? So you're focusing on your own life, not distracting anybody around you. But today, in a moment of reflection, perhaps today is the day to say yes to Jesus. For others of you, today is the day to cancel a debt. Today is the day to begin to speak truth, to confess where God's Holy Spirit has gently rebuked your heart and wants to have you participate with him. If you're a believer, agree with what he's telling you to do. If you're not yet, and you today is the day you're ready to say yes to Jesus, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray in your seat, right where you are, just silently. You just repeat a prayer like this after me. Just pray this, Jesus, today I'm saying yes to you. I ask you to come into my heart and make my heart a new creation. That you would forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died on the cross so my sin could be forgiven. And I believe you rose from the dead that you were God. And so today, Jesus, I give you me. Today, I'm saying yes to you. If you prayed that, would you just slip up your hand? Just hold it up. Anywhere around the room, we've got some friends who'd like to give you some information just based on that so that you could get that. Just hold your hand up real high, they'll come find you. Right there in the middle, awesome. If you got your hand up, you could open your eyes. Greatest decision you ever make, awesome got a guy coming on your left, awesome, right here. Anywhere else? Just hold your hand up high. I think you'll find this helpful information. Awesome. Sun Grove Church, we give it up for what God is doing in us and among us. Good news. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.